I'm currently parked in a boatyard in Mexico, where I work on my online business from my camper van, and Tom gets our sailboat ready for the season in the Sea of Cortez. And just across the way is another couple with both a camper van and a sailboat. I found this common. There are many crossovers and similarities and differences between the two lifestyles. That's what we're chatting about today on the Wayward Home Podcast. Let's go! Welcome to the Wayward Home Podcast, all about van life, boat life, and nomadic living. We'll bring you tips, interviews, and stories from the road and on the water. Now, here's your host, Kristen Haynes. Hey there, I'm Kristen Haynes with thewaywardhome.com, and my partner Tom and I live half the year in our camper van and half on our sailboat in Mexico. We've been living tiny since 2016, and I hope to inspire you to try something different too. Well, the crossover between van life and boat life has a lot of similarities and differences. Many sailors have camper vans, truck campers, or even RVs. They go travel on land when the weather is too hot or uncomfortable for the sailboat, and vice versa. Today, I'm talking with Eddie, author and creator of the Vanabond Tales blog. He and his wife, Kelly, spend time in both a camper van and on a sailboat, but they sail over in the Mediterranean while I stay here in Mexico. So let's get into it and learn about the differences and similarities between these two lifestyles. Who knows? Maybe you'll decide to become a sailor one day, too. Right, Eddie, thanks so much for joining uh, the Wayward Home podcast. Super excited to have you here. Really excited to be here. Cool. So, yeah, I'm excited to meet yet another van lifer and sailor. You know, this is something I'm seeing more and more often, but also Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of curiosity and back and forth between these two lifestyles. So let's Mm -hmm. just go back to the beginning with you. Um, You started out in in vans. So just tell me a little bit about your whole experience with the van life. Sure. So we... I mean, I, I met my wife in 2016 and a couple of years later, we um, bought our first van and we, well, we, we flew from Europe to South America and we bought a van uh, for our first van life adventure and we got the, we caught the bug. Um, we did South America for, for seven months and then after that, we, we built our own van and took that in Mexico and had planned to do the whole of Central and, and South America in that one, but in 2020, we parked that van in, in Mexico to fly home to my home in Australia. And when we did in February, they closed the, the borders. So we were stuck in Australia uh, and we, we bought another van there and we were driving around Australia for two years waiting for the, the borders to open because Australia had pretty strict lockdown going on. And as we were doing that, we were sort of watching our, I mean, in our own minds, we were watching our time run out on all these adventures, all these things we'd planned to do. Uh, and one of the things on our bucket list had always been to buy a boat. So as soon as the the borders opened, um, we took our opportunity to to fly to Europe and buy a boat in Croatia. And we've just wrapped up our second season uh, on the boat. And since then, I've actually gone back and done a couple of, of van life trips. So yeah. And I think I was thinking towards the end of our third van, I might be over this lifestyle. And then when we started the, the boat, I was like, oh, well, this is, this is fabulous. This is fantastic. It's so much better than van life in a lot of ways. And it's funny, having gone back into the van recently in, in the winter in Europe, I'm starting to, to come back around to van life again after a little break. So, Isn't that funny? Um, I, yeah, that kind of describes my experience exactly because, you know, we go in the sailboat for like, you know, five months sometimes and I'm like, oh, I just want to you know, I love it. And then I'm like, I need a break. I want to go do something mm-hmm. else. I want to be on land and mm-hmm. have accessibility to bicycling and hiking and stuff. So I'm happy to be in the right. van. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to get back in the boat. So I think the two are just really complement each other so wonderfully. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what I just found out. I thought, yeah, how did you, when you first started sailing, did you think, 
it was better or worse or the same? Yeah, what's interesting is I started out with the boat. Um, I was, you know, laid off and got on the boat. And it was um, a way to save money on rent in San Francisco. So I did the sailing mm-hmm. thing first and then was like, okay. oh, it'd be really cool if we had a van. So it did kind of opposite of you. Okay. And so it was um, very different. But the sailboat, I feel like you just get to more remote, uh, beautiful areas of nature. Mm-hmm. And there's more aspects of self-reliance. So I'm, I'm curious cool. like, what you thought about it transitioning from the van to the boat. Yeah, at this, the same. I mean, yeah, yeah every day maybe not every day, but more often than in the van, you're waking up in some beautiful isolated cove with nobody to share it with rather than maybe a Walmart or a gas station. Uh, so that's a huge difference. And, you know, initially is it's very kind of captivating and, oh, this is amazing and unbeatable and, and you're waking up on the water. I think that's another really special thing. And so, yeah, my initial... My initial feeling was like, oh, this is this is better than van life. I think I prefer this. And yeah, it wasn't until I got back in the van, I was like, oh, that's right. Boats can't go up mountains and boats can't go inland and boats can't see all these sort of, and they can't travel as fast or as far. So there are all these things you forget about uh, that the, the van has advantages over. But yeah, the, as you say, that that's those really remote places and, and waking up in a different cove every day, that's pretty special. It is. And that's funny you said that about the speed because our boat, you know, it's a sailboat. It goes like, if we're lucky, it goes seven knots. And that's if we're lucky. It likes to ride around five knots. And for people who don't understand that, that's like as fast as someone can run really fast. Right. So yeah. So, so we're slow. even smaller and slower. We're even smaller and slower. We're lucky to get five knots. So we're, yeah, we're a fast walk. Um, some Our friends were asking us yesterday, like, oh, if we were in this part of Europe and you're in that part of Europe, how long would it, would it take you to get there? And we're like, I know it's smaller than that, but... It'd be like walking there. It'd be a really long time. <laughs> yeah. I think people forget about that, that we're very slow and it's such a different feeling mm-hmm. being on a boat. And one cool thing about it is that you're more on the speed while well, the dolphins are faster, but they do come up oh. in the whales. And I'm curious, did you see that in where you were sailing as well, the sea life? Because I know we sail in really different parts of the world. Yes. I'm in the Sea of Cortez. You're in Europe. What did you see out there? So the Adriatic is famously uh, not super hospitable to to marine life it's not i don't think it's very nutrient rich and it's been fished very heavily but dolphin there's still dolphins so um you still get the dolphins swimming with you but other than that um we didn't see so much we saw a couple of turtles a couple of uh larger fish jumping but yeah maybe not as spectacular as as mexico i'm guessing but we haven't done mexico yet so i'm not sure yeah very true and Another thing I was wondering, because I noticed that when I'm on the boat, one of the things that makes me want to get back to the van is sometimes some of the motion and the weather and the having to sail the overnights. I don't know if you guys had to do that, but sometimes when we're just being thrown around, the Sea of Cortez is known for some steep chop sometimes and close together waves, and it can be really nasty. And so I'm like, I want to get in the van. Give me a stable bed. Did you experience that sort of rolly uh, nature of your sailboat? Absolutely. Yeah. So the I mean, there are parts, sometimes in van life, it can be scary, especially driving somewhere, you know, in, in, in a dangerous area or, or, a, or a dangerous country. But I think, yeah, the getting caught out in a storm on anchor and being up all night, you know, worried that you're going to pull off your anchor and drift off into the rocks. You don't get that, commonly you don't get that level of sort of adrenaline in, in van life. So a couple of nights in that, and you're sort of wondering why, why the hell you're, you're doing this, but yeah, I think that's 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 very true. It's um, 
a level of stress that doesn't usually come with van life that often comes with uh, sail life. <laughs> yeah, I remember one time we were sailing up um, the coast of Baja and there's a certain mountain range area that gets really high winds. And unfortunately, mm. in the middle of the night, and they're called catabatic mm-hmm. winds. So we're sailing mm-hmm. and, it, you know, Tom is asleep and I'm on watch and suddenly the boat's being like blown over at this steep angle and he was sleeping on the cabinetry. And he's like, why am I asleep on the cabinetry? So he woke <laughs> up. And we're getting blasted by like 40 to 50 knot winds. And it was like 2 wow. a.m. And it just went like all night. And I was like, why am I doing this? But it's not like that happens very often. But with sailing, you know, you can get really hit by some weird stuff that you're right doesn't happen in the van. Yeah. I mean, and so, yeah, I think most sailors that have spent many much time at sea know what know about the catabatics. So we get it in Montenegro. They've got these the tall mountains as well. And they don't predict it. It's sort of unpredictable because it's just wind falling off the side of a mountain. And yeah, it just blows, blows its guts out for, for hours on end. And that, yeah, it, I, and I think even now, as I'm saying it out loud, I've sort of become a little bit immune to it because when I say it out loud, that sounds like something pretty extreme. But for me, it's like, oh, it's just part of, yes, just part of sailing now. But I think if you told someone that was thinking about going from van life, to sail life, that might be a little bit off-putting. <laughs> yes. And it's a reason I like to mention it because I do get questions from van lifers and they're like, oh, I'm thinking about like going to the sailboat. And I think it often seems very romantic from what people see, like mm-hmm. honest, like anything in life, you know, what you see in social media or what you might imagine is way different than how it is. And so I tell them like, right. yeah, it feels like it can be way more dangerous than being in the van. <laughs> Although the van, you can have head-on collisions, which end up being very bad. So yeah, that might be even it's worse. Probably, they're, probably, they're probably similar in terms of risk, but the, it's not the feeling you get. When you're driving 100 kilometers down the highway, it's not, not the same as being up in the middle of the night trying to, uh, trying to survive one of those, those gusts out of nowhere, I feel like. <laughs> Very true. It feels a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. Very true. And so how did you guys do in terms of like, so this is your first boat. So like learning mm-hmm. to sail, learning the boat systems, what was all that like for you? Yeah, I think that's a good question because I think that's probably the other the other thing, isn't it? If you're coming from ends to to sailboats and you don't have a lot of experience, the learning curve is probably the next scariest thing, probably the scariest thing. Because I did, wasn't even thinking about, I didn't know enough to know about catabatic winds or uh, or storms to worry about. But the learning curve was certainly a worry. I actually have I, when I was a kid, I grew up sailing dinghies, so um, I knew. The principles of sailing and it was just about sort of scaling up i guess to a bigger boat what we did is we hired a couple of guys a couple of brothers in croatia to to we bought the boat and then we hired these guys to come aboard our boat and show us how it worked and they said oh we could probably get you set up for sailing in about 10 days and we thought oh this would be great we'll be sailing from island to island having having just an awesome time and they're like listen guys i think we're mostly just going to be motoring in and in and out of the dock because it turns out most of what you need to know to get going is just is just docking the boat so for 10 days we were just practicing being able to 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 get in and off on and off the dock and on and off the anchor and then that and then sort of learn to hoist the sail and put down the sail but that's essentially the stuff you can slowly learn as you go uh but knowing how to get the boat in into harbor and out without damaging any other boats is is a pretty essential skill. Yeah, that's true. And that's something I haven't personally learned because um, my partner, Tom, has had his first sailboat in like 2001 and he's the main Mm -hmm. helmsman and captain and he docks the boat. But that's something I feel like I need to learn. But it is like a 
41-foot boat with like a six-foot bowsprit that hangs way out. So it's 47 wow. overall. And then so you have this long, people who don't know what a bowsprit is, this long piece of wood that's like six feet off of the boat that you have to maneuver. Like a spear in. almost <laughs> waiting yes. to, to, to puncture someone, someone else's boat. Yeah, so I have fears. Like I can drive the boat when we're out at sea. You know, I know how to put the sails up and take them down. But the docking thing, man, that's scary. So did you both learn how to dock um, when you were doing these lessons? We yeah we both learned. Uh, I've become the default uh, docker at this stage, but we we both learned at the time. But uh, we have an advantage over your boat. We have a tiny wee twenty nine foot boat without a bowsprit. So and in also the the previous owner had put a bow thruster on this little boat. So we're highly maneuverable. Um, if Lucky. we make a mistake, we can correct. Yeah, very true. Ours does not like to pivot or. Turn mm-hmm. its no or back up pivot. It's just it's a very it's like driving a gigantic probably airplane where it's real s- slow to take any yep. changes. So that's something people have to. Yeah, remember. I think that's that's something you don't realize, do you? Like when you cut when you it's very car is very responsive. A boat is very unresponsive. You have to learn about how long it takes to to bring the front round using a rudder that's at the back, uh, and it can be a, a little bit of a learning curve, I think. Totally. So, uh, yeah, tell me a little more about the, you said it was the Adriatic Sea, correct? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what does that look like? Where exactly is it for people over on this side of the pond that don't know geography very well like me? I would think maybe Croatia or Greece, but let me, tell me a little more about the sailing grounds you were in. The Adriatic is that little arm of the Mediterranean that, that uh, goes up in between Croatia and the inside of Italy. So it's this beautiful little protected sea along that you've got uh, Montenegro, Albania, a little bit of Greece, uh, and then on the other side, Italy, actually a little bit of Slovenia at the top as well. Uh, but it's this very narrow, very protected stretch of water, which in the middle of it, near Croatia, especially, you have a lot of islands. So a lot of protection, a uh, very predictable wind pattern, and almost zero tide and zero reef. So as a place to learn how to sail, it's up there with the, with the best. Um, and obviously it's, it's extremely beautiful. So you've got really like really lovely crystal clear water, no waves, nothing like that. And, and some amazing places to visit along Croatia, <clears throat> all those old Asian towns, you know, Split and, uh, Shibanek and, and, um, Dubrovnik and everything like that. So it's perfect in that sense. The only downside would be the amount of sailors there, uh, and especially the amount of sailors that are just there for a week or two. So it's it's a really popular place for people to come and rent a, a boat um, for a week or two. How good they are at sailing is an absolute, you know, they could be great. They could be sailors that have sailed all their lives and, and just don't own their boat and they're coming for a, for a week holiday, or they could be beginners. So um, that's the biggest challenge, being surrounded by people where you're not 100% sure know how to use their boat. That's really interesting. And so, do you, so when you go out to those islands, do you find like secluded coves or are you always sharing coves with other people? No, absolutely. There's just so much coastline. I think if you added up all the coastline, including all the islands in Croatia, it's, it's really remarkable how much space there is. And as somebody who has a lot of time to spend out there, you can pick and choose. You know, you don't have, everybody else has to go to the, the number one beaches and the number one spots. So they're all going to bar, they're all going to split. They're all going to these really famous and the, the most beautiful places in Croatia. And we're fully aware that that's not necessarily, you know, it's much more beautiful to, to go, keep going a couple of coves around and find somewhere completely to ourselves than fight over uh, very crowded sailing grounds. So uh, 
Um, it's very easy to avoid the crowds, but you have to be prepared to, to, to avoid them. But it is very easy. Yeah, lots of cool places to check out. Cool. That sounds like a really fun place to sail. I knew some other people that had a sailboat, but they were sailing all around the Med and they were saying that the winds and the weather patterns were kind of crazy in other areas. So that's good to know that that sea is a little more gentle. Yeah. Yeah. So if you keep going round and you get into the Cyclades, where, you know, Mykonos and Santorini and all that, it, it's, and you can tell just by the geography. So the mountain, even the, the islands in the um, Ionian on this, on the same side as the Adriatic, they're, they're in Greece, they're all covered in pine trees and they're all lush and green. You get around in the Cyclades and it's all those very bare, rocky islands, which gives you a bit of a clue that, you know, it's, it's very windy a lot of the time. Um, so we haven't gone around there yet. We, we hope to in the future, but where we've been has been really nice to, it still gets windy, but more often than not, it's predictable and you can find somewhere that's going to be a little bit protected and calm at the night. Very cool. And was there anything that like surprised you when you first went to sailboat life after doing so many different vehicles on land? Um, I guess I wasn't surprised because I didn't know what to expect. So I was sort of open to anything, but it's just, I mean, just the, the ample size of a, of a sailboat is a nice change. So when you go from, from vans to, to sailboats, that's sort of people were saying to me like, Oh, how are we going to live on a tiny sailboat? I said, this is an incredible amount of space. We have two bench sheets that face each other. We have a separate berth. We have, you know, a, a toilet. It was, it was for me a, a sort of, uh, that was a big change, the amount of space that we had. Um, I mean, something specific to the area we were sailing was how incredibly difficult it was to get anyone to, I don't know if it's like this in Mexico, probably not, but it, if you need to get anything done in terms of uh, mechanical work or fixing the boat, it's, it's very slow uphill process to compel anyone to help you in, in, the, in the part of the med we've been sailing in, which was different to, to, um, the van. And I guess another difference would be the costs, which, they weren't the, the the cost of entry to the to sailing was a little bit higher to get the same. I mean, it, there's obviously you can do everything. You can do van life extremely cheaply, or van life ex, in a very expensive fashion. You can do boat life in a similar way, but I feel like it, even the lower level starts a little bit higher in in boat life. So we had a very entry level boat, um, and we spent about twenty thousand euro on it, and we had a very entry level van, and we spent less than half of that on it. So. Um, that's what we noticed about uh, the cost. And then once, you, once you're actually sailing, some costs are high, but some costs are lower. Obviously, gas, we spend nothing on gas, you know, maybe $25 a week if on a bad week when there's been no wind. But then you spend a lot more money to stay in an arena than you would to stay in a, in a, uh, a campsite with, with the van. So the cost has just been sort of a, a redivision. I think we spend a little bit more on the boat, but not a huge amount more. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah. Those are, those are the big differences. Yeah, I can totally relate to all of those, um, which is interesting because when we spent a lot of time in the van and we go on the boat, it feels gigantic. I'm like, wow, I right. have like rooms. I have, yeah, the toilet yep. and the shower. I have like a oven on my boat and I'm like, wow, and an outdoor cockpit to sit in. It just, it feels gigantic. And most people would not think uh -huh. a sailboat is gigantic. <laughs> I think that's probably unique, a unique perspective that you get if you go from van to boat. Most people would think you got, you, you're downsizing to get on the boat. Whereas if you're coming from the van, you're thinking, wow, this is 
This is fabulous. I know. I think that's so funny. And then another interesting part is, you know, during our interview right now, we're actually in a boatyard in Mexico, and it is hard to find people to work on your boat. This is actually a DIY boatyard and one of the only ones we've heard of in Mexico and in certain parts of the world, actually. we I heard that there's one couple here that they, they've been back and forth to the South Pacific many times, and they intentionally came all the way up here so they could work on their boat at an affordable price because you can do all your own work. It's only like 250 bucks a month and you can have like I have my van wow. here, I have my boat here, you have electricity, bathroom, showers. I mean, it has everything and you can walk to town and the beach. So people come here from everywhere just to work on their $250 own. a month yes. to keep the boat there. Wow. Yes. And you keep they Amazing. pull it they pull it out of the water, you store it on the hard when you're not here, and so it's very safe, it's out of the hurricane zone. And so that's why a lot of people come here. And so you meet a lot of interesting cruisers from around the world who've come here and a lot of young people mm -hmm. too, because, you know, it's really expensive to get someone to work on your boat if you can find someone. And so, yes. And so the best way to, to save money is to do your own stuff. And that's what everyone here is doing. So there's that camaraderie right. associated with and it. So is there a nice community of, of liverboards there in the off season or working on their boat? Uh-huh. Yeah. Right now there's yeah. quite a few people here and we had a party last weekend for Christmas, um, tamales and stuff. And so that sense of, of community is the only thing that keeps me sane around here because otherwise being in a boatyard is not super fun. Um, but yep. it is neat to have the community around here and, it, and everyone's hanging out and we have the same goals, same mindset. And so it's really kind of a special, um, unique opportunity. Can I ask you, what have you found the difference between community living in a van versus living in a boat? Do you find it easier or harder to, to meet people along the way? Yeah, what's interesting is I find the sailboat actually way easier to find community. I'll be curious what you'll okay. say after this, because when we go out to these different coves and places in Mexico, there's just a few other boats there and you tend to meet people like, uh, you know, you're dinging around, you meet people. And we've met so many people here in this boatyard that then go down into the Sea of Cortez that we recognize them and see them out there. Mm -hmm. And then we hang out with them. And so we're always making friends, hanging out with people. And um, in the van life, I have actually met like nobody <laughs> because we also go way out boondocking in the United States mm -hmm. on the public lands way far from people. And so we're not necessarily meeting people or attending gatherings. So we haven't really met anyone in the van life. Um, so I'm curious, like, what did what do you think about that? Did Have you noticed a difference? Yeah, it, it, not so much of a difference because we do, it's, it turns out we're just loners in both in both lifestyles. <laughs> it seems like we, I think we had this this vision when we set off on our first van life that we would be, you know, sitting around campfires with people every night. And then on that first trip, we, we actually found it pretty surprising how few people that we met along the way. Like we certainly uh, would meet people from time to time. Um, but it wasn't the, 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 you know, 10 van convoy we might've imagined at the, at the start. And then, uh, in, in life has sort of followed that trajectory a little bit as well. So we've met, a, we've met a few people along the way and, you know, hung out with them for a night and then, you know, go our separate ways. But uh, once again, in general, we've been a little bit maybe slack uh, in, in, in making friends along the way. But I, I wonder if it's noticed it as well uh, in the place that we're sailing. It's a lot of retirees, which is fine. And we've, we've spent time hanging out with retirees, but it, we don't have as much in common with the people, with a lot of the people in the, in the areas that we're sailing, which is, Seems to be a different, a bit of a generational gap. 
Yeah, and that's um, interesting. There are a lot of retirees here, but there's also a lot okay. of young people here in the Sea of Cortez and in the boatyard. A lot of people like in their 30s and 40s. And there's even a guy here who was 26. And I'm like, 26? Where'd that come from? Something <laughs> really young, but he's working on yeah. his boat. He lives on his boat. And so you do have more of a wide age range here. And then the Sea of Cortez itself is a certain special area where kind of the same people go back every year and a lot mm-hmm. of them are okay. permanent liveaboards. And so season after season, you're running into these same people and mm-hmm. then you end up doing little sail convoys with them, which is fun. Cool. And like a lot of them travel anchor to anchorage like all year and they're really great friends and they're, they're awesome. young, you know, so it's really interesting to find those little pockets of people of varying ages here. So that's something that's kind of unique where it sounds like also in your area, there's a lot of um, people on holiday coming through, renting boats, and you don't really see that here. 100%. Okay. Yeah, no, it's re- probably a lot more people there on holidays, either short-term because they already have a boat there but, or rentals are very, very popular, Yeah. Um, which is, I guess, another thing. A lot of people are transient, so you, you're less likely to keep up with them. Yeah. Um, I, do you feel that the, the lifestyle is growing and more people turning up at this boatyard year on year? Oh, yeah. This boatyard had their busiest year ever this year. I think they said they stored about 180 boats. And just a few years when they were starting out, it was hardly any. I think we were last here almost three years ago. And I've I've even noticed like they're just packing them in. Um, People are storing boats. And there's even way more people in the sea, especially because of Starlink, um, the availability of Mm. Internet. And so now you have more and more remote workers and people spending more time at sea instead of going back to like the U.S. to work. And so we are seeing yeah. things getting way more crowded here. And I don't know if that's the same for you guys with, with Starlink, because you said most people are retirees anyway, so it might not make a difference. Well, no, but that's, but that's not like you can see, you can, you can, we can notice that there are people, more and more people that are working from the road in general, especially post-COVID where more opportunities for remote work sort of came up. And people started to do this sort of thing. We're definitely noticing it both in 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 van life and in sail life. More young people that are working because that's I think that's a big difference, isn't it? In the past, your employment opportunities were severely limited if you decided to live permanently in the van or permanently on the boat. Whereas now, there's a lot of jobs that you can do mm-hmm. on on the go. Yeah, very true. And. You know, there's another interesting part of sail life that we haven't talked about yet is just the the fact that we can get propelled by the wind is just such a special mm. feeling that we're mm. just out there. We're in the elements. I feel like a sailboat is almost part of the elements. It's like we're just mm-hmm. the self-sustaining. Um, it feels like a living being, actually, to me when we have the sails up and it's kind of dancing along and we can make our own water. We have a water maker. We have tons of food. We can catch fish. It just feels like a really self, like sustainable lifestyle, which is something I love. Undoubtedly, and, and was, I said before, you, you don't travel as far in the sailboat, but in a way, you do travel just as far. You're just seeing more. You just, I mean, just because you're only going twenty nautical miles along, if you take a whole day to do that, you see, you know, and you, you're seeing a lot more than you would if you're just going from point A to point B on a highway to arrive somewhere different. So, yeah, you don't cover as much ground, but you see, you just see so much more. You see, you're sort of exploring every inch of the coast at that really slow pace. It's, yeah, it's definitely a very special way to travel. Yeah. And it feels good to not spend so much money on diesel because the van, man, it costs oh, yeah. a lot sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a big plus. Yeah. Budget wise, I love being in Mexico. I'm like, my food prices go down. My diesel prices go down. The living expenses are so low given that this is just 250 a month, which is way cheaper. 
then, you know, if you spend money on campgrounds a few nights, it's way more yeah. expensive. So the affordable rate is also really good. So that's some something that I love about this part of the year, but it gets too hot and then we leave. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so once it gets too warm, you have to be at sea, I guess. Yeah. Well, then we go back to the van and back north to the oh. northern um, climate. Okay. All right. So this is like a, a so you escape the escape the winter to Mexico and then go back when it starts mm-hmm. to get too hot in Mexico. Okay. Exactly. That's yeah, our travel pattern. Yeah. So are you guys planning on any like bigger sailboat trips or what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. So I, to be honest, when we first bought the boat, it was that last hurrah. Was we 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 were we had this idea that we would be moving back to Australia to settle down at some point. And as COVID went went on and on, we were sort of crossing things off the list. Oh, well, now we can't go and do, you know, we, we wanted to go and do India and um, some Central Asia. We sort of said, oh, we might not have time for that. Or we might not have time to live in Portugal. We won't have time for this. We might not have time to that. And the only thing left on the list that we thought, well, we have to do before we go back and settle down in Australia is we have to just spend one one season on a, on a boat. You know, halfway through that season, I said to Kelly, oh, look, bad news. I think we might have to give this a little bit more time before we, we head back to Australia. And so now, yeah, the timeline's been extended a little bit, and I don't know exactly when we'll wrap up sailing. But it, you know, it, at the moment, I've, there's a lot more I want to do on the boat. So I want to be able to take it out of the Adriatic and out of the Mediterranean and sort of level up our skills. And while we might um, never be ready to do a full ocean crossing, I, you know, I'd like to travel a little bit further on it. So this this season, our plan is to. Um, upskill and do some sailing courses and become a little bit more proficient and then looking looking for, for the next few years maybe getting it out into different parts of Europe and then ultimately either in this boat or another boat and maybe going into the the Bahamas and that sort of area and exploring somewhere new so yeah we've got some we've got some plans and none of them involve uh, selling or none of them involve uh, hanging up the, the sails just yet yeah so the sailboat kind of derailed your settling down uh-huh. plans for a little longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really did. Really threw a spatter in the works, <laughs> a wrench in the works. Yeah, a sailboat can do that to you. There's something very special uh-huh. about it, even though sometimes I find it antagonizing with the wind and the weather mm. and the motion. But then there's so many lovely parts that I think, you, I, well, I just tend to forget the bad parts. And I'm like, well, I want to do that more. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> There's just one nice day, you know, one sunny stale with with nice wind and it's hard to remember those those catabatic winds here (laughs) i know it's hard to remember and i do love that sailing requires a certain level of skill and i feel like it's almost a sport like more of a sport Mm. than just driving a van which can be oh absolutely cumbersome and boring but when you're sailing and you've got the boat going at that perfect heel and speed Mm. and it's just beautiful and i think there's nothing better than that that's yeah there's yeah i think that's that's another big draw isn't it that there's always something to learn and the more i mean we're obviously just beginning this sort of journey and and it's we're still at the point where like the more we learn the more we realize how much we don't know and how much more we have to develop as sailors so you know after two seasons we're still you know building the confidence to even leave this little area of europe and there's just so much more that this it's got such a a big runway and a, and a far horizon for us to learn and develop as sailors so i think that is a really exciting part that we might have thought we were going to go out and conquer sailing in a season but looking back that was an insane idea <laughs> <laughs> totally and are, do you guys have any more plans to continue doing the van life or how does that fit into your overall plan so yeah i mean as as we spoke about a little bit at the start 
finishing up the van in Australia, I was really getting a bit over it. I mean, Australia is quite a difficult place, quite a challenging place to travel. And we were traveling in the least comfortable van we'd ever, we'd ever had. It was a Land Cruiser um, troop carrier with a little pop-top tent. So it was really, um, we were roughing it um, quite a lot. And Australia is obviously a pretty fast place to, to travel. You know, you're spending a lot of time outside of cities in, in, you know, dusty places. And towards the end of that, I was getting a little bit over it, I think. And then we got onto the boat and I thought, oh, this is it. This is, there's no going back from this. I, I loved it. And I thought this, you know, this is way better than, than van life ever could be. But having got back in the van for a couple of trips, um, just recently in the last couple of months, I've, fallen back in love with van life all of a sudden. And so uh, it's that swings around, you know, you, you, the grass is always greener. You're doing one thing and it's wonderful. And after a little while, you, you start to miss um, some of the good things about van life. So getting back and exploring Scotland by van and Slovenia by van and Italy by van in the last couple of months is just really, really reconnected with why we, why we, fell in love with van life in the first place. So I've realized that neither one's now sale life nor van life are replaceable. We'll have to, we'll have to find a way for them to coexist. Yes. Are you guys thinking? As you have. Yeah, exactly. There's a season for one, a season for another, and so right. many places to explore. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you guys going to purchase another van, do you think, or just continue with the rentals? So, well, yeah. I, someday. It just, we, you know, we're never planning to... Don't have any rigid plans. Uh, at, you know, it's a constant state of flux. But before we left Australia, I was sketching up my next van. I thought it might be a co-star. I don't know if you have them in the states, like a like a bus type thing, not a big bus, but a small bus. Um, and then we got on the boat, and those plans sort of uh, evaporated or were put on hold for a while. So no immediate plans to buy a new van, but at some point there will be another van. And I'm always thinking about ideas and and uh, what I need and don't need in, in that next band. So. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's, it's it sounds like yeah, we have a lot in common and experience the same things, and hopefully more people will try sailboat living if it appeals to them because it is phenomenal. It's mm -hmm. really a, a way to get deep into nature, which I really love. So it's special. Yeah, I think those, thing, there's those things that are scary about it, but they're, they're surmountable just by getting like once you get through them a couple of times, you realize they're not so scary. Yep. And they're no more, no more risky than, than probably driving the van That's very yeah, true. on the highway. So very true. Well, cool. It's been so fun talking to you. I know that, um, absolutely you have a, a blog and you have ways for people to follow you guys. So just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we started a blog uh, in 2018 when we first started, um, van life. And at the time we thought, oh, we'll, we'll always be doing van life. So we called it the Vanabond Tales instead of uh, the Vagabond. Um, we decided to call it the Vanabond Tales. And then of course we transitioned to sail life, but we kept the van. Uh, we kept the Vanderbilt Tales blog alive, and now it just covers a broader variety of things. So, it's still got um, information on where we've travelled, and information on hands and van life, and how to get started. And now we're starting to write a little bit of stuff about sail life. And certainly, we don't pretend to be expert sailors, but we can certainly share something that we've learned. The stuff we've been talking about today about getting started and overcoming some of those initial problems, how much it costs. And, and how to do it sort of thing. And most recently, we started a vlog. So we've started um, recording some of our uh, stuff at sea and 
just like the blog was. It's that, you know, that's a, a big learning curve in and of itself. And so we've been trying to figure it out and it's, you know, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing project, but we're really enjoying it. And I think we'll continue doing that as long as we have something to share. Very cool. And that has the same name as your blog. Yeah, it does. So the, the, the channel is the Vanabon Tales YouTube at the Vanabon Tales. Very cool. Well, I'll put everything in the show notes, of course, so people can just scroll yeah. down and click on stuff. But I'm on your email list and I enjoy um, the emails you write. So thanks for doing this. And yeah, Thanks. super fun to chat with you about our lifestyles. Absolutely. Similarities. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Great to talk to you too. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Wayward Home podcast. Just to let you know, I'm about to take a break from the podcast to focus on some other things in my business, such as getting traffic to my website. I'd love to stay in touch with you though. So make sure you're signed up for my email list. That's thewaywardhome.com forward slash subscribe. And I'll also put that link in the show notes. I send out emails often and I love hearing from you. So I hope to see you over there. Thanks again for listening to this episode.